Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this special episode and final episode of the first series of the Learning Journeys podcast from Lacuna Learning. We hope you're all keeping really well and in today's episode we are delighted to be joined by none other than Professor Richard Cheatham, MBE, Lord Mayor of Cheveley Services. No introduction could ever do the Cheatmeister justice so I'll keep it short and let him tell it as it really is. Richard is a coach and coach developer and is currently a senior teaching fellow in sports coaching at the University of Winchester. Uh, He was an amateur cyclist, raced at a pretty good level in France in in the 80s. I was allowed to give the decade out, I did check that before I started. He coached rugby in New Zealand and toured with different age group teams for, for a number of years. He was awarded UK Coaching Coach Developer of the Year in 2018 and was given an MBE for services to education and community sport in 2017. His main interests are in creativity and play, encouraging people to think differently with a deep passion for learner engagement. I first met Richard in 2015 at the UK Coaching Summit in Wales. Uh, We then, through various things, became collaborators and mischief mates in my work in triathlon and canoeing and various other things. Uh, We've had more than the odd bike ride and climb uh, and one career-changing crash, which we might talk about later. He is an outstanding coach educator. Uh, He's a role model of mine uh, and a massive inspiration to a huge number of people. So delighted to have him along to share his journey. So thanks for your time, Richard. Thank you very much, Doug. It's it's an absolute pleasure. I'm remembering already, this is your life with Eamon. Come with second name now, was And they'd invite people in and they go, do you remember? And I was out the doors, you'd come. They go, do you remember Doug? Oh yeah, hi Doug, how are you? They bring your family and was some bringing somebody, you don't remember that, do you? This is your life. I do, yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder who's going to come out the doors next. There'll be Rusty in there, the old PE teacher, probably, I don't know, somebody else. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting start to the pod. So Richard, by way of warming you up and the now regular feature on the pod, question for you that everyone has been asked. I am more than a little bit intrigued to see what you say here. If you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go? Who would you go with? And what would you do? Oh, well, um, I'd like to go back to South America. I'd like to go to Torres del Paine, right down the bottom of South America. It's beautiful climbing. I think it's some biking trails around there, walking trails. It's the one place I didn't get to, or one of the places I didn't get to. And when I've seen a lot of the climbing films and uh, documentaries, just that beautiful. I take my daughter and we take our bikes and we take our open, adventurous minds with us. There you go. And we play plenty of Jaffa Cakes as well because she likes Jaffa Cakes. <laughs> I love that the the quality of the snacks was a significant thought for you in that adventure. That, that's brilliant. No one's mentioned Jaffa Cakes Listen, yet. It, yeah, it's important to her, you know. it's uh, There you go. That's the first thing I, I remember when Nikki's say to her, what is it about on Wednesdays when you pick her up from school? Pick and mix Wednesdays. I said, yeah, it's important to her. She said, yeah, I took her and it is important. She took all of her time to choose 200 grams every Wednesday and a bit few of this. You know, it's important to her. Jaffa cake's important to her. I should at this so, point you know. in the pod, of course, say other cakes and biscuits are available, but, but Jaffa cakes oh, yes. are very fine. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. It was a hilarious opening to what I think will be a hilarious podcast. So... It's not a sponsored. It's not a sponsored. Pod, not sponsored podcast. No, it's not. No, no, not important enough for that. Okay, so I feel like people know you 
I felt like they really know you. And I don't think I know this story, so I'm really excited to ask you. So you've been in sport most of your life, all your life. Where did it all start and, and where did it lead you? Well, I suppose it it starts in that wonderful position that we find ourselves in now, where we are the the ones that create environments for others to look back on and go, yeah, they really helped me. That was them that helped me get into it. And I had a PE teacher called Mr. Bruff at secondary school back in 1976. And, uh, you know, he, he inspirational, um, role model probably. I don't, I, we use the word inspiration, but he just encouraged us and just, uh, yeah, he wanted you to be in the team, but he knew I was good at cricket and liked playing rugby. And he just made sure that it was a place outside of the classroom that you could thrive in. It was a place where people really could just do something different. And um, he, he, you know, I, I've spoken about him a few times, but he probably wouldn't remember. But um, he's encouraged. And then from there on, my dad was a good cricketer. So I played for local cricket in Somerset at the time. It was Ian Botham and Joel Garner, Viv Richards, those kind of role models. And um, I just remember when I was eight years old, you know, I, I don't know what it is about riding bikes, but it's the view from my dad's house still is what I call Ice Cream Mountain. It's about three miles away. And it's basically where the, the soil and the rock have sort of gone separate ways and the rock is a pinky and white colour. And I used to call it Ice Cream Mountain. And I set myself a challenge of cycling there when I was nine. And uh, then I set myself a challenge of cycling halfway to Yeovil. And then I set myself a challenge of cycling all the way to Yeovil without having a cup of tea in Ilchester. And uh, then that one thing led to another. Um, chose a college that didn't, wasn't the one that all my friends went to. It was just a local college and I didn't get a bus pass. So I cycled to college 10 miles each way. And the local bike shop said, why don't you, you know, join a ride, join a race, join a club. So Jerry Barlow took me under his wing and, um, and that was it. You know, that was the start. How I ever still continued after that grim day in Burnham-on-Sea when I hunger knock 40 miles from home and uh, was in a very dark place. But uh, yeah, there must be something about cycling that made me want to go back. Yeah, wow. What amazing intro. So a place outside the classroom you could thrive in. Love that that kind of idea. Ice Cream Mountain. I, I Yeah, wow, what a lovely term for that. I just love this idea of these little incremental challenges can I go a bit further can I make can I grow my challenge in some way so mm. you kind of got into cycling I suppose just through happenstance where, where did that lead you next how did we end up in France um so uh ended up in France so I ended up we trained with uh, the Yelva Cycling Club and the Taunton Cycling Club we'd end up going out they raced together we trained together and then Taunton was twinned with a Lisieux in France and uh, they said why don't we spend the summer going over there and I just left college didn't want to go to university and decided to take up a training manager's job for Sainsbury's so I saved up the money and then we went out for three weeks in Lisieux and we raced for this team and um, it was just unbelievable you know we raced all these big races and uh, you know I kind of won my first race and it went downhill from there but um, we rode Kermesses, Nocturnes big uh, premier races and then we sort of got drunk on Bastille Day um, celebrations and I handed my notice I, drunk, I wrote my notice into Sainsbury's uh, wrote my letter to Sainsbury's so I didn't want to go didn't want to go back to work I'd find my place riding bikes for a living uh, sadly I didn't do it but I still had that wonderful experience came back and then went back to college and then on to our education yeah wow Oh, I mean, you've always talked about you know the riding 
being there, but I never knew quite how it happened. So it's really cool to hear it. This this real sense of an apprenticeship and kind of growing up and doing those those cool things that I suppose you would always look back if you hadn't done it and gone, I just wonder if I'd gone over to France and given it a go and seen what happened. So, okay, so you didn't go to, go to uni, so you, you got a proper job sort of. Then you went and did some riding, and so that was brilliant. Now I'm going to go back. And so you did then go to university. So so what happened next? Um, so I, I did a, uh, a sandwich course. I got to business and sport experience, and I did some. Uh, so each summer I went back to France to race. Not, not my, you know, my I was never going to make it. I just went back because I went back to a different area. Went to the Auvergne and raced for a club in Aurillac, and um, you know I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I was uh, working, and my placement went back each summer. And then when I graduated, I sort of started a leisure management course and a leisure management career, I suppose, working at a local leisure centre. And then I went from a local leisure centre to a technical college that wanted teachers who had sort of vocational, you know, industrial experience. So I taught on a BTEC, BTEC uh, leisure and sport programme. And, um, you know, that's that's really sort of where my career, teaching career took off, really. I, I remember having a teacher when I was studying thinking, man, is that the best you can do? Is that it? I could do a much better job than that. I'm not an arrogant way, but I just, I mean, I'll tell you the story. He said, right, it was about leisure management. So he drew a wave machine. You know, a wave machine, you get leisure centers. He drew three wavy lines on a whiteboard. I thought, wow, is that it? <laughs> is, that it? is that as creative as you can get? So I always thought, okay, I'm sure I could do a better job than that. And um, hopefully I have done. Yeah, no, I love that. I've, I can almost see like the extension of the, you know, I'll cycle to Ice Cream Mountain, I'll cycle without a cup of tea, I'll, like, I'll just do a bit more, a bit more, a bit more, so I'll do this and I'll go do BTEC leisure management teaching and then I'll go do something else. So I'm dead interested. Somewhere on the line, you then find yourself in New Zealand. How did you get from teaching squiggly lines and wave machines in college to, to being coaching and working in New Zealand and stuff? So I, I did a master's alongside my teaching job at uh, a technical college, so FE college, and um, I was, had been teaching there for six years and doing a master's part-time. And in that time, I had a prolapsed disc, you know, quite a bad injury. And I had a student who, uh, and his brother, who had cousins in New Zealand, and they, their family invited me around uh, one summer. Because I, I, you know, the, I had, I think I had quite a good uh, rapport with the people I taught, and always interested in how they were doing after they left and they sort of come around, come around, we've got to show you our focus on a holiday in New Zealand. And so I went round and they very kindly went and cooked me tea and showed me the pictures of New Zealand and bungee jumping and you know, this park, the steam came out of the ground and rafting and all these things. Oh, I've got to go there. So um so I think I had decided really at that point that after the the challenges of doing a master's part time, driving up from Basingstoke to London once a week. The injury, which had really been quite attritional, you know, it had been quite uncomfortable. I'd, I'd been pretty much, I'd sit in a classroom and I'd be 15 minutes on the floor, 15 minutes in a chair, 15 minutes on the floor, 15 minutes in a chair, in my stats lecture. There you go. And I kind of suppose I just needed to, to now or never moment, really, you know, and rented my house out and had some savings and been inspired by this the students and and his family and said you know go and you can stop off in Auckland and stay with our cousins and so that was it I just uh, now or never really but like France you know never look back on something you wish you'd done really you don't get two chances you don't get two paths you get one path 
and um, Sainsbury's was uh, was the turn I sh- uh, maybe should have made because it made me realise that I could never see myself doing that, and that's no disrespect to the career, but it wasn't you know shoes those shoes didn't fit me. So tell me about your time in New Zealand. What did you get up to when you were out there, and how did that lead you? I get I guess to what you do now. Well, I suppose you know I'd worked in the leisure and tourism department, at, um, sport leisure and tourism department at Basingstoke College, and you know I'd always been. I remember this teacher saying, "Yeah, you know, I'd love to fly to Argentina to see these waterfalls." And I said, "Well, you go all the way to Argentina just to see some waterfalls." And she went, "Yeah, that's what you do when you like travelling." And I got it. I understood it. I I now understand the Grassu Falls. You know, on the borders of Argentina, Paraguay, Brazil is still on my list of things I will do one day. And so I had that opportunity and I took six months, uh, a rucksack full of clothes, I probably thinking I was going to a place that didn't have clothes shops. So I rapidly changed from, you know, from sort of smart clothes into that real traveller. And I just went around the north and south, south island of New Zealand. I stayed with a guy I did my master's with who was out there for a year, uh, worked on a dairy farm for three weeks. And they just went everywhere and anywhere. I mean, it, you know, when you go to a hostel and so on, so you must go here, Hot Water Beach, you must go to Watomo Caves. And uh, and it was literally that free, that one time in your life where you could turn left and right whenever you wanted to, to experience that freedom and experience that not worrying about anything was one that I, you know, I really cherish. And uh, I think I'm, I'm blessed to have had that. Yeah, I can kind of hear that in your voice, that real sort of joyful feeling of that time. Now, listeners are interested, Cheats, because coaching is a pretty big part of your life. And thus far, you haven't really talked much about coaching. Did coaching start in New Zealand or did it start after that? How, how did coaching fit into that story? Well, I think coaching did start in New Zealand, ironically. I mean, I suppose it, my master's was in uh, was in sports science. And at the local rugby club, I, you know, after I stopped playing, wanted to stay involved, so I worked alongside the coaches and did the strength conditioning. Well, I call it field conditioning, really, and I didn't have a gym there, so it was a lot of it was functional training and warm-ups and obviously skills embedded in as well. And when I went to New Zealand the first time, it was purely to travel, and I got so hooked that I came back. And um, this is part of the story. I haven't told this for years. But anyway, so I came back, didn't have a job. I had a friend of mine, James Crantle, who was at the Olympics, I'd studied my masters with him and I'd always promised that I'd go to watch him in the final in Sydney. So I saved my money up, did, worked in a watercress factory, did some part-time teaching because that travel bug had bitten me. And um, I did a car boot sale once actually. And I remember putting a sign up saying I'm going to the Olympics. And people thought I was actually going to the Olympics and were giving me money, not because they wanted to buy things, but they thought I must have been an athlete going to the Olympics <laughs> and I actually wasn't. But they're chucking money at me, like, oh, you've got luck in the Olympics. I'm going, well, I'm actually just going to watch a friend. Uh, so anyway, I sent money up, um, house was still rented out. My last place on my visit list in New Zealand had been a week in Australia with my cousin. And, um, you know, somebody had said, when you go away travelling, you'll find something. Yeah, there'll be an answer. And I've, five and a half months, I couldn't find the answer. And the last week... I got the answer and after going to Australia I thought the answer is to travel more. So I came back, didn't go back to the job that had been offered open to me and I flew to Perth. Uh, I was at a payphone on Rottnest Island for an hour and three quarters on the online ticket for uh, for the Olympic final to watch James Cracknell in the rowing final with Steve Redgrave, Matthew Pinson and Tim Foster. And then 
that was it. My travel, you know, I flew to Sydney, went to Olympics. Went to Olympics, there you go. <laughs> Not as a participant, Listen, as a spectator. Never let the truth tell a good story, uh, right? That's uh, right, no, the truth get away, a good story. Uh, but um, unfortunately, uh, it was the truth. And uh, yeah, so that was that was great. And then I carried on traveling, went back. And I think one thing about travel is that it obviously opens your eyes, opens your mind, you meet wonderful people, you look at the life you are currently having and the one that you've experienced. And of course, I wanted to travel more. So I applied for my residency in New Zealand and I managed to get my residency, which took me a year. So I was part-time teaching, coaching back at Basingstoke, working for the England under-19s in the preparation for their World Cup and Six Nations. World Cup was in Chile. I got the invitation when I was doing some supply teaching at school near Reading and said, do you want to go and work with England under-19s for their Six Nations and World Cup? And it's kind of like, why did you need to ask me that question? So when that finished, I then took my residency up, flew to New Zealand and just remember putting my details on the teaching website when I was following the British Lions tour around Australia and I was in an internet cafe and I put my teaching details on the, I can't remember the website, Ed Gazette New Zealand, I think it was, and said, look, I'm looking for a job. I was offered a job the next day and I said, look, I can't start. I can't start work <laughs> tomorrow because it's important. I've got two more test matches to watch. So they said, yeah, that's fine, we understand. So I watched the second and third test of the British Lions series, flew out via Melbourne, landed in Palmerston North. And then I hope you're listening to still <laughs> listening, but then that's... But it, it's, I suppose I was saying it's because it's not as simple as, you know, leaving and getting a job. Uh, and really what I found in New Zealand that I wanted to get involved in rugby and, and coaching was the thing that fitted me, really. I sport science was important, but something about coaching that was a better fit for me. Okay, so coaching is obviously what you're known for, but people probably didn't know that first part of the story. I'm so glad we took the time to actually ask you and you to relive that, so thank you for sharing. Yeah. I didn't know I went to Olympics, yeah, as an, Olymp- an Olympian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you went to Olympics. Yeah, it, It's not quite, quite as good as Leslie McKenna's I inadvertently qualified for the 2010 Olympic Games, but but it's, <laughs> it's certainly in, in the mix, right? So... Yeah. Uh, New Zealand, you then came back. Now, did you go into coaching or did you go into teaching? How did it all come together? Yeah, so I just, I just came, uh, I came back and I, I only had a part-time hours, uh, sort of really Six Nations and World Cup with England 19s. And of course that wasn't full-time. That was the duration of the preparation for, for the Six Nations and the, and the Junior World Cup, which was in South Africa, I think, 2005. So I did some part-time supply teaching and, to, and then I, applied for a job at the University of Winchester on a sport development degree and then realised that actually they needed a coaching degree. So I wrote the coaching degree and then from coaching my local club, became a coach developer, educator with the RFU. And then, you know, the, the I suppose that, um, you know, it's about presenting to an audience where you need really one person in that audience who says, I really like that. And then I got an invitation to go to the Belfry uh, at a coach developer's presentation. Andrew Gillett was due to be there and um, my presentation was different as you can imagine and we started with a massive game of Jenga so I bought massive Jenga <laughs> stuck it on the desk in front of 26 coach developers from netball to rugby to cycling and we played big Jenga <laughs> and it went down a storm such that Paul Moss who you know, you know very well yeah good old Paul and I told this story that um, I represented 
Great Britain at Jenga. And that when you go to international tournaments, your Jenga pieces have to be made from trees that are natural to the country you come from. So Norwegian pine, if you're in the Norwegian team. And this Jenga was made from English oak. And um, that I'd made them myself. And if you wanted to buy one, you could buy them. And he sent me an email saying, can I buy one of your um, Jengas? <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I sold a tail, but actually I sent him one. Did you? As a gift. for? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And he'll always remember it. So I know Marcy for a number of years. So I work with Paul Marcy in triathlon. He's now um, UK anti-doping. If he's listening to this, he'll probably be horrified you just told that story. But it's a great story. And, and I, I suppose one of the features that I suppose you're well known for is taking a really different approach. When you said you took Jenga out, I wasn't even remotely surprised because you're very well known for that. I guess I'm interested, you know, creativity is something you're really interested in, something you use a lot. Where did that come from in your practice as a coach and coach developer? Yeah, I think that's been asked before, and I, I, I suppose I really would like to delve down to the the, the the origins. You know, my dad was a physics lecturer. That sort of seemed to be very black and white. I shouldn't say that really, but I don't know where it came from. I think it's just, uh, um, and I, so I can't think of the origins. But I just there's a there's a that oh, I don't I don't do it that way. I don't like I, I can see it. I do it better. I, I, I do it. Why don't we do this? Like I I can't sit in front of that and listen that way, I need to do this. And I remember going to a conference up in Glasgow, a presenter, um, nine o'clock on a Monday morning, I may have told his story, and a very renowned speaker, Eric Chartney, who was, not fair. And after 10 minutes, I needed to go, I, I, went, I had to go to the toilet, I didn't actually need to go out. I came back in and it was still carrying on. And then I, I left after half an hour and I didn't go back to any of the presenting after that because I just thought, yeah, I know you know a lot, but you've got to, Remember, there's somebody listening to you. You've got to spark that. You've got to, you know, if you're presenting to an audience, you have to touch them in the sense that part of their life they can relate to, that they're listening to it going, yeah, I felt that, I know that. Cool, I, that's the same as me. That's a great idea. And then get them to do, you know, in, involve the audience. I just didn't want to, to be traditional. I thought there's so much scope for diversity. And, you know, I stood in front of those coach developers in Be- at the Belfry and uh, with massive Jenga and, never regarded as a risk. I knew that it would it would work. I just wanted to be to do something different. Of course, it feeds itself, you know, because uh, you get ideas, you know, ideas we know like rabbits and we know what rabbits do. And you, at some point, he was going to get in the rabbits thing. He says that to me quite a lot. Yeah, that just interested. A lot of things you said in there, I encourage people to listen back to that last little section you just shared there. I just don't want to do it that way. You've got to remember that somebody's listening to you and that I just didn't want to be traditional, that real rejection of, I guess, traditional ways of doing things. And as I've heard this story, that that kind of theme just keeps coming back through that real, I wonder if we could do it differently. And so I, I guess with that in mind a little bit, I'm wondering what, what advice or, or thoughts or ideas you've got for maybe new coaches and coach developers coming through, given, I guess, the really amazing journey you've been on what sort of um, advice or thoughts might you have for them? I would like to have narrowed this down and I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm actually glad that I've been asked that question because it's not a, a long response. But there's work we've been doing a lot recently, which is understand someone's experience. You know, when you're coaching, when you're teaching, how close can you get to the experience of those you are coaching and teaching? You know, Be the audience. What are they seeing? 
And we, we just done Rubik's Cube this morning with, this, with the first years. Uh, they were each given a Rubik's Cube. I've done this quite a few times. Well, actually, it's a few times, a few groups. So they're given a Rubik's Cube, and I purely want them to experience what it's like when somebody's given something that is a challenge and what it's like to, to learn. Oh, I, I, when I was trying to do it, I found this. I now know what you're going through. And if you can really genuinely reach out and understand someone's experience, ask them, look at the cues they're giving you. They, they will give you an idea of what, how they're learning, what they're learning, where their engagement is. We talk a lot about engagement. And when you say you know, in, engagement, yeah, I get engagement. What's engagement feel like? Well, I'm involved, I'm happy, I'm active. Uh, I feel I can share my ideas. Uh, I haven't stopped. We've been, the minute you walked in, we haven't stopped. What time is it? Oh yeah, well, I didn't realise we run out of time. Um, I'll come back next week. All this kind of, all these ingredients in what engagement is like. So summed up really, understand someone's experience. Because they will talk of you, they will talk about you, they will reflect and they will say, you know what? We went on this bike ride, mad bike ride. And we'll talk about that story later. But <laughs> that's it really. And, and I, I want to be able to do that. I want to, to do that. I just spoken to some students this morning. How, how are you getting on with online learning? What's what are the challenges and, and they have a clear dialogue. They feel open. They can talk about the anxieties. They can talk about the success. I need to, I need to get close to that because I'm not them. Yeah. Well, thank you. I was, I was hoping for a good answer and you did not disappoint there. That is an absolute belter. Understand someone's experience. I've just written down a few things there in my notes. Something around, around empathy, just seeing the world as they see it, not as you see it. Um, mm. I love that. How close to the experience of that person can you get? How close can you get to what it's like for them? Because if you can get close to that, you, you'll be in a really good place. What does engagement yeah. feel like? And I just love this idea. And it, it resonates a lot with the work I'm doing at the moment around, you know, learning is done by the learner. We can't actually design learning. What we can do, though, is we can create experiences that we hope will lead to learning. And therefore, we should spend a lot of time and energy thinking about well, what is the quality of that experience that you're giving somebody. And I think that's that's one of the things that you are just outstanding at doing consistently is how do I create experiences that might allow somebody to connect with something or engage with something? It's, yeah, a, a rare gift, Richard, it must be said. I'm interested, and we're way over time, but we always knew we were going to run over time. Oh, I'm really interested. Right. You talk about engagement a lot. This is what Rusty would ask you, I think. What is the best engagement you've ever had in a session? What is the moment you thought, oh my goodness, we've we've got this? Well, I think you're probably going to know what I'm going to say, don't you? A room full of grown adults blowing balloons up. That was it, you know? And I know, you know, that I'm probably, people may associate double and, and balloons as the things, but yeah, it, it just, I don't use it now, but it, it was a variety of audiences and it just never ceased to amaze me because what happened was it's about layering. I know the layer will do this next and this happened next. And actually it was, it brought this amazing connection between the group. And I could just see grown adults being given that excuse to kind of just take, take I'll talk about that somewhere I've just written recently, taking our armor off, you know, um, and being uninhibited uh, in terms of expressing themselves, understanding why we're doing it. That's real engagement. Real engagement. There's 67 people in a in a in a workshop in Vancouver, in uh, Canada, where the, they originally started walking past the room where I was presenting to go to other conference presentations and saw the melee that was taking place and decided to turn left and come in my room, not because I was brilliant or because other presenters were, 
dull, but because there was something that there were the curiosity what was happening, and it was uh, full of people connecting through that, and that's probably one of the best ones, yeah. I do have other ones. But. Oh yeah, loads. It, <laughs> no. Do you know, it's one, of, one of ideas. It's one of my proudest moments was when we were, got the pleasure of running something together and I suggested something that was so out there, even you were concerned, which was just to open by playing Frisbee. But it did the same yeah. thing as the balloons. It brought people together. It brought connections. It got rid of armour and all that kind of stuff. I suppose a lot of people see, you know, you're a huge figure on Twitter these days. You've got a lot of followers and stuff. People would see your double and balloons and think that's what you do. And I suppose if I had a message for anyone, because I know you quite well now, there's a lot more to it than that. That That's kind of the tip of the iceberg, but actually it's the thinking behind that that is hard. And one of your catchphrases to me is always, Doug, it takes a lot of planning to appear this disorganised. And the point you're making is it can appear very free-flowing and you'd be forgiven for thinking you can just make it up as you go along. But actually, having seen how hard you work behind everything you do, there's massive amounts of thought and consideration and contextual understanding that you're trying to build before you break out balloons or double or Django or whatever you do. Yeah, I think, listen, I, I suppose that the, one of the problems we have is that, and I have read this recently, and I, I think it was, I can't remember, maybe Stu Dixon posted it, I'm not quite sure, but I've heard it more often than not, that you know, academic journal articles sometimes written in a language I can't access. You know, I... I and I thinking why why can't we just translate it to somebody who wants to use that information? So sometimes I see myself as a translator. In other words, to the coaches I work with and the students I work with, there's behind it there's underpinning, there's rationale, always there. You know, and it, it's I suppose that uh, the thing I used before is that I know what I'm going to teach, but it's the how I teach, which is the bit I always like. Okay, so they always know that, uh, and often we do the how together. So the information I need to teach is this, need to teach this, but how are we going to do it? Well, that's the exciting bit. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do Rubik's Cube? Why don't we just do... We've been doing, we did London Underground on Monday. Fantastic. You want to work on deceleration, change the direction, create London Underground on lines in the sports hall floor. Every time they stop, they have to tell you a landmark of what part of London they've been to. Social distancing, so they go down the line, the same line as somebody else, so they can't two metres apart. Peripheral vision, all the different things in there. It's an adaptive game. So... I, I think that when we in privileged position to be able to do research, we've got to make sure that that every layer from you know the, the, the coach on the sidelines with the with the, the volunteer parent right the way through to higher levels are able to access what it is that we found to support them in a language they can understand and be able to say not what does that look like? Be able to say, ah, I get it, it looks like this. Thanks, Richard. Now, as with all my guests, we could just carry on chatting forever and it, w- it would be brilliant. Alas, we are at the end of our amazing conversation and I'm I'm just so, so grateful to you for your time and for, for sharing your journey with us and sharing a lot of your wisdom and, and insights. Oh, there's a lot in here and I'm going to really struggle to summarise this. Um, I suppose if we go back to the beginning, I love that finding that place outside the classroom you could thrive in and to me a lot of the creativity and ideas that I think you come up with stem from having kind of changed the notion of what a classroom might be this idea of growing the challenges so creating new and bigger challenges all the time I love this thing you said earlier you're always interested in people after they leave what you do 
So this lovely idea that actually they're much more richy than that. Uh, you went to the Olympics, so we'll just stick that on the recording. You know, you went to the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how you went there, under what capacity, is is just details, right? Semantics. Um, <laughs> Can't boot sales. <laughs> we won't remind Paul Moss about the Jenga uh, any more than we already have. He he, li- he likes that story. He does he like that story? Okay. I like that story. Every time we meet, I'll have to share Paul, it with him and I tell like, him. Always smile. We're thinking the yeah. best of him. He's doing some lovely work at UKUD. And then we just talked about where does his creativity come from and that kind of rejection of traditional ways of doing things and just finding other ways. And, and I just, I suppose for me, the real bit I'm sitting with now is this idea of how do you understand somebody's experience? How close to the experience of that person can you get? And if you can do that, then you're going to be in a, in a really great place. Thank you so much for your time. People are going to want to catch up with you. Probably people listening to this already follow you, but where can we keep an eye on what you're up to? Where can people get hold of you? Where can they ask you questions? I can always email me. So that's richard.tutum at winchester.ac.uk. Twitter is at twowheelprof, two as in T-W-O. Instagram, which is twowheelprofessor. I'm on LinkedIn. I do, I'm always happy to, for people to come in. And they do come and sit in sessions and watch and join, ask my students. Lots of coaches have come down, uh, which is great. You know, Dan Cox the other day popped down, have a nice chat. The difficulties of coming on campus at the moment are obviously the situation we find ourselves in with COVID. But once that passes, they're always welcome to come and sit and watch. And if I can help, I will more than happy to share ideas and things that I've done and you know Doug it, it is reciprocal because you know I talk about marry well we've spoken about this before you know marry well married marriage is not the marriage of, of a church marriage it's a marrying of ideas marriages of of mavericks and free thinking spirits and souls that when you invite somebody up to throw tennis balls at your athletes that you're more than happy for me to come and do it. um and that's what we did. We've thrown tennis balls and tennis ball tubes and we've messed around and Craig Morris has then brought in Swiss balls and messed around. So, you know, I think what I'm always very, very hugely grateful for is that it's reciprocal. You know, I said to students, I'll learn as much from you as you'll learn from me. Your invitation when after we met in, in Cardiff, you know, has, has opened wonderful doors and met wonderful people. I have ideas I've never thought of. And so... Um, and this isn't waxing lyrical because you're here, but it's it's that true adventure that creativity takes you to places that you didn't think you would um, go to, really. And I, I just think, listen, I've made loads of mistakes. I know that. I mean, we did some stuff this morning and uh, and I knew it wasn't working, but we spoke about it. And by the time we finished, you know, we did that reflection in action. We changed it, upped it, spoke about it, finished on something that we were really happy with. So, you know. It's a pleasure. And Eamon Andrews, this is your life. <laughs> That's what we spoke about at the beginning. It was, yeah. Listen, folks, I very much encourage you to keep an eye on what he's up to. He's uh, always happy to talk to people with ideas and so on. He's a very open character. So um, I very much encourage you to do that. It is the end of the first series. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the engagement. It's It's been really fun doing it. I'm just delighted that anybody has actually listened. So thank you very, very much for that. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Richard. There will be a second series. Just keep an eye on my Twitter feed to see exactly how and when we're going to do that. And obviously keep an eye out for the future podcasts and hit subscribe to make sure that you never miss out. And obviously everybody, please stay safe. 